Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Case, and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to introduce today's episode to you. It's a little bit different. It's a video series that I did on the feed, but I again, I know many of you guys don't go to Instagram. You hear me on the podcast primarily. And I really do think that this information is better received as a podcast. So I have pulled the audio and we are piecing it together so that these three videos that I did are one long podcast on Enneagram and relationships. This may be my longest episode yet. I know some of you guys like longer episodes and I haven't really created a ton of those. We tend to keep it pretty short and sweet over here. So hopefully this will kind of scratch that itch for a little bit longer. And we're going to cover all things in relationships. We'll talk about, you know, how you have a healthy relationship to yourself, some things that I hope we don't do when we work with the Enneagram in relationships, some things I hope we do do in Enneagram relationships, and then kind of my step-by-step process on what I think we need to focus on when we go into work on our relationships and our understanding of the Enneagram. So I hope you enjoy. Well, You'll hear some of the language that's specific to video. You might hear me say, thank you for watching this video or in the next video, but keep in mind it's all it's all one podcast. So stay tuned and thanks for being here. Hello, everybody. In case you and I are meeting for the first time, I'm Sarah Jane Case, the creator of Enneagram and Coffee, the author of Honest Enneagram, a podcast host, a speaker, and a writer. In my other life over at Sarah Jane Case, I help people to live a productive, creative, joy-filled life full of a deep well of self-love. Speak on the feed, we're diving into relationships. But I can't do that conversation if we don't start first with the relationship that you have to yourself. It's imperative that we start here because every relationship in your life is really just an overflow of the relationship you have to who you are. So today I want to cover the three major ways that I see people hinder the relationship that they have to themselves and their path to true self-acceptance. The first one is that people often see themselves as something that needs to be fixed. We kind of walk through life with this voice telling us how and where we should constantly be improving. It kind of makes sense, right? The messages are everywhere. They're in TV, they're in the magazines, they're in our favorite self-help books. You should be doing more, right? You should be doing better. You should be eating differently. You should be moving differently. You should be thinking differently. You should feel differently. There's always something that could be fixed about you. The problem is that you aren't a project. You're a person, right? You're this living, breathing being who first and foremost needs to just survive and exist in, and it deserves satisfaction and happiness. I think it's helpful to take a second and think of your inner voice as an out, a thing outside of yourself, like a whole person, give it a name, and then watch it interact with someone you love very much, your kid, your partner, your mom, and watch that inner voice kind of follow them around and speak to them as if it's speaking to you, you speak to yourself. So, you know, think about your inner voice following your kid around and saying, like, you should eat something different. You should move your body more. You should be more productive than that. Why did you choose to wear that today? What's wrong? You know, that doesn't look good on your body. We wouldn't let someone walk around talking to someone in our lives like that. We would intervene. We would step in. We would defend them. Yet, 
it's so often how we interact with ourselves. Like there's just something that could be better. There's some way to constantly be improving. And sometimes you just need to be accepted for who you are and what you're bringing to the table right now. Saying that you never do work, right? You never improve. But if we don't have a safe, trusting, loving place within ourselves first, all of that improvement is self-rejection. It's not self-improvement, right? It's not actually getting better. It's choosing to see yourself as never quite good enough. The second thing that I see people do that gets in their way of self-love is they assume that it's selfish. And I find that really fascinating because I believe the most selfish thing that you can do is neglect your own needs. When we neglect a healthy relationship to ourselves, it pours out like hot lava onto everything we interact with. We snap at the barista. We need too much from our relationships. We suck the people we love dry, just begging them for the positive reinforcement that we should be getting from ourselves. We actually need to be continuously filling our own cups because that is the selfless thing to do. The third reason that I see people sabotage or give up on self-love is that they've tried fake it till you make it and it didn't work. And so now they don't know where to start. That feeling of projecting confidence, but not feeling it on the inside, that big smile as you walk in the room, turning the corner and feeling the sadness, feeling the loneliness, and not knowing how to make this projection of confidence turn into something that we feel deep, deep down that can sit in us when we are alone, when we're in environments that are unfamiliar, or when we're scared. This fake it till you make it thing is really loneliness masked as liberation. The helpful tool that can get us by when we started a new school, a new job, we, we enter into an unfamiliar environment, like that will help us get through it. But at the end of the day, we're always going to be aware that there's not anything underneath that that's supporting us, that's holding us, and that is long lasting. So when we mistake this as what confidence is, we can really easily start to believe that true confidence isn't actually attainable, that everyone must be faking it. In reality, true confidence comes from ultimate self-acceptance, both in your high points and the things that are amazing about you, but also in the things that aren't so awesome. The honesty of sometimes I'm great and sometimes I'm not, and if I can integrate all of that into a whole, then you can't really shake me, right? You, you can, you and I can interact, but I already know the things that are under the surface that aren't quite serving me. I already know the things that are amazing about me. So your, your opinion, your experience with me isn't that important because I have such a good experience with myself. So yeah, we need to build a healthy relationship to self-esteem, self-acceptance, and to who we are. Studies have long linked healthy relationships to healthy self-esteem. But our self-esteem can be contagious. What it means is if I'm in close proximity to someone who has low self-esteem, I can catch that like a virus. And if I'm carrying high self-esteem and I'm interacting with you, you can catch that too. And that we're constantly kind of feeding off of one another. So if you are still stuck in that mindset of my self-esteem and focusing on my self-love is selfish, well, actually, your low self-esteem is potentially harmful to the people in your life. So if we can focus on how can I better love myself, that is the starting point for every relationship. Our relationship to ourself can and likely will impact the relationship that the people we care about have to themselves. How I talk to myself will turn into how the people in my life start to catch on to how they talk to themselves. 
I, for one, want that to be positive. I want the people in my life to interact with me and to see the love and care that I have for myself and for them to take that with them into their journey and whatever life decides to hand to them. I know there are some of you out there who are like, yes, but, <laughs> and I think a couple of the buts that might be coming up for you are, yes, I do want some self-love and, and all of that, but my relationship isn't working right now because I have needs from my partner that aren't getting met and I can't fix that. And to you, I say, actually starting with self-esteem and self-worth is the starting point for that. You, that's where you learn to set boundaries, to ask for what you need, to believe you are worthy of getting those needs met. But I really am the problem. There really are things about me that aren't serving my relationships that I need to fix. And that's true. That's the case for all of us. And self-acceptance isn't about ignoring the things that we need to work on. Self-acceptance is about integrating the fact that we are strong and we are amazing. We have all these wonderful qualities. And sometimes we just make the wrong choice and that we can continue to learn and grow and improve while also holding on to the fact that we are innately good and worthy of love. And finally, I can hear some of you saying, yeah, awesome. I know self-acceptance is important. I've been told that my entire life. I get that it's important to relationships. I believe you, but I don't know how to do that. And you keep talking about how it's important, but like, how do I do it? I'm definitely going to give you step one on that journey a little bit later in the video, but for right now, hold with me because I hear you and we're going to get to that work. My self-acceptance journey has been so beautiful, so immense, and has been years and years in the making. And I can remember what it felt like before. I can remember what it felt like to have these friendships and these relationships that didn't get me, that didn't serve me, and assuming that I was somehow the problem. You know, relationships where exactly who I am wasn't quite good enough. And learning to love myself enough to where those voices and those messages just sounded weird to me and unwelcome because I had created an inner voice in myself that was so warm, so loving, so compassionate that when I can hear, you know, the friend who can't celebrate my joys with me, the partner who wants to point out my flaws, the things in, in relationships that don't match up to how I talk to myself, it's loud and it's weird and it's unwelcome. And I can, I started through the self-love journey, the ability to really hone in on who actually loves me and who is here because it's convenient or who is here because it gives them self-esteem to put me down. Um, who's here out of proximity and not out of intention. And when we speak to ourselves so kindly, that becomes blaringly obvious. Also remember how it used to feel to not be able to set healthy boundaries. That like resentment that lives like right under the surface where you're kind of constantly irritated and frustrated and it comes out at the wrong thing because you don't know how to communicate about the real thing that's not serving you in this relationship. So you just kind of hold on to it. It festers and it, it comes out at the wrong time and it, the wrong person sometimes. I had to learn that it's okay to ask for what I need 
And I had to learn that it's okay to follow through with consequences when my boundaries aren't respected. And that has taken me so much work, but it has been so rewarding. Now I have relationships that are fulfilling and loving and satisfying. And I know that I can either meet my own needs or ask for what I need support. And all of that came from my own work in loving myself and knowing that at the end of the day, I always have me. At the end of the day, I am always caring for because I care for me. And I honestly think the hardest one for me to kick and the one that like really took some time was that feeling of being lonely in a room surrounded by people. The feeling of I can be in this room and everyone knows me, but no one really, really knows me. And, and, and coming from a place of not being able to open up and be vulnerable and share of my weaknesses so that other people could support me too, that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of it doesn't matter how much I know myself, how much I care about myself, if I don't trust that I am worth seeing, if I don't trust that I'm going to be accepted, my good, my bad, my ugly moments, then I can't have those deep connections. I can't have that bond that we all really crave and need with the people in our lives. So I, as we kind of get to the end of this video, I think I've, I've hopefully convinced you that your self-love journey is important, um, but I want to give you a step one. I want to give you a place to start. So if you can today, take five minutes, sit down, put a timer on your phone, write out just a free, just think from the top of your mind, don't overthink this, the first things that come to mind for a full five minutes, and this is not going to be easy, everything that you do that contributes to the life of other people positively. Think through what it is that you bring to the table that is positive in your life and in your relationships. I say five minutes because that's kind of a long time and I want you to push yourself past the ones that are at the forefront of your mind and get really, really deep. Now, if that feels impossible or if that feels too hard, that's okay. I created a PDF for you, a kind of a Mad Lib of sorts to help you fill out. So if you can't, you're like, I cannot sit down and do this organically for five minutes. I'm not there yet. That's okay. Go to the web, the link in the bio, grab the Mad Lib PDF, download it, and just fill it out and see how it feels to lean into your strengths. And, and I'm not asking you to ignore your weaknesses, but I am asking you to prioritize your strengths right now. Step one, we're creating a safe space where you can go into looking at your blind spots and the areas that don't serve you. But before we can do that, you need to know that it's safe for you to be vulnerable, even with yourself. So I hope that this video has been helpful. Do the exercise. Let me know how it goes. Tag me in stories if you want to, or just shoot me a DM. Hopefully I'll get to see it. Tomorrow, we're going to dive into how this can impact your relationship with other people and take it into actually integrating it um, into your relationships. See you tomorrow. Hello. So we are continuing our series on Enneagram and relationships today. So if you're in a relationship and you want to open the doors to better communication, or maybe you're a friend or a sister, a brother, son, daughter, mother, father, who wants to support the people in your lives better and be supported in return, then you're going to want to stay until the end. Yesterday, we discussed your relationship to self. And today we're going to talk about a little bit more about how we take that that work and bring it into the work that you're going to do in relationship. So if you haven't watched video one, then stop where you are right now, go back, 
watch the first video, you will be so glad that you did. It really sets the foundation for everything we're talking about today. But today, we're diving into three ways to not use the Enneagram in relationships, and then three ways in which I hope you do use the Enneagram, and ways that the Enneagram can be incredibly beneficial in terms of your work in relationships. I know some of you are going to say that's all well and good, but the people in my life aren't into the Enneagram. I've tried, they don't like it, they're not gonna do this with me. And I want to say to you, that's okay. What we want you to do is focus on your work, what you can control, and ultimately that's just you. But that doesn't mean that your relationships aren't going to benefit long term. So let's start there and then we'll move on. We'll also talk about ways in which you can access the work of the Enneagram with the people in your life without ever saying the word Enneagram at all. Later on in the video, I have a little something for those of you who want to talk about the Enneagram without using the word Enneagram with the people in your life so that you can still get the connection that you crave and that you all need without having to get them to buy into the Enneagram first. I know that there are others of you out there who are like, yes, okay, cool relationship talk. You're bringing us all of this, but all of us aren't in relationships. And I want to say that this isn't just for romantic relationships. This is for any relationship in your life. We're talking friendships, you know, relationship to your parents, to your children, to your grandparents, relationships to your boss, people that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's all beneficial for anyone wanting to do the work of the Enneagram and who has to interact with humans at all ever. So let's dive into the three major ways that people misuse the Enneagram in relationships. The first one is that we try to fix the people in our life. We learn their Enneagram type and we learn the levels of health and we start to look at when they're falling short and when they're succeeding in their number. You may start to say things like, oh, you're being such a blank right now. Um, you're being such a four right now or you're being such a five. And we start to look for ways in which they can constantly be improving. And we talked about this in the last video. And when we do that to ourselves, we're eliminating the opportunity for full self-acceptance. And it's the same thing in relationships relationship, when we focus on how someone could constantly be improving, we're, we're creating an environment in which acceptance and true love can't thrive. It, in the reality, the first thing we have to do is we have to accept that it's not our job to fix the people that we care about. It's our job to love them. And so when we're thinking about what we want to bring to relationship and how the Enneagram can benefit, we really have to take ourselves out of the role of fixer and out of the role of teacher and into the role of support and love. So how can we support them as they go in their own growth journey, not how can we tell them what their growth journey should be? The second thing that people do with the Enneagram that doesn't serve their relationships is they wait for the people in their lives to get on board before they ever start their own work in the relationship. What the problem with this is that if you were waiting and they're not starting, then neither of you were really on board. It's kind of like this illusion that you're the one on board and once they get on board, then you'll be ready to go. When in reality, for anyone to be on board, you have to start making changes from where you are. So you don't need to wait for them them to buy into the, to the fact that there are things that need to work to change or things that you can improve on. Instead, you just do what you can do in your lane. Focus on where you can improve. And then if they can meet you there, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But that information will come so much faster and be so much more clear if you start your journey now. 
so often people are waiting. They're saying like, well, I want to work on the relationship, but they're not ready yet. And, and what's really happening is this is kind of like an opt out. It's an opportunity for you to say, to take the higher ground, to say you're the one willing to work on it. But if you're not doing the work, then are you really willing to work on it? So it really takes stepping out and doing the work in your own lane and then allowing them to participate if they choose to and being willing to acknowledge if they won't um, long term. But you, you need to keep your lane clear. Make sure that you're doing what you can do and then release the expectation for how that's going to impact them. The third mistake that we often make when we use the Enneagram in relationships is we try to Enneagram for the people in our life. We figure out their type for them. We tell them what they need to work on. We focus on, we try to like, if we pull them along on their growth journey, then like maybe they're gonna buy in eventually. And the problem with that is that we do two major things. One, we neglect to, to be honest with ourselves about the fact that if they're not actively pursuing or participating in their growth journey, then it's not really a growth journey. If it's us trying to drag them along, then they're not actually going to ever experience the growth or the change or the knowing that the Enneagram can bring because it's being forced onto them and it's not something that they're reaching for or they're looking for in terms of their own need for growth. So if we force the Enneagram upon them, they're not really gonna get the result that we hope they would. Of course, I'm not telling you not to tell your friends and your loved ones about the Enneagram, but give it to them, let them decide for themselves how much they wanna interact with it and be, be an example of how much it can impact you and let that be the call to action rather than trying to convince them to buy into it because the reality is if it's not something that they feel passionately connected to, they're not going to, it's not gonna impact them long-term. The second reason that this doesn't work is because it can feel very objectifying. We start to refer to people as their type. We can say, oh, you're being such a four, or you're such a seven, or that's such a seven thing to do. And it can start to feel like we're simplifying people, we're minimizing them. And so it's important to remember that the people in your life are not numbers. They're people with who have developed a number as a way to protect or earn love or earn acceptance. And, and that isn't who they are. It's a flavoring of who they are. It's kind of a protective mechanism, but it's not the essence of who they've been. They've had rich, full, complex lives, and we have to stop thinking that learning their Enneagram type ultimately tells us anything about them. What we need to do is learn how do we ask them the right questions about their Enneagram type so that we can better understand who they've been and who they continue to be and who they're going to become based off of what they share with us about the elements of the Enneagram that impact who they are. Okay, so we've talked about what not to do, but now I wanna talk about three of the very, very many ways in which the Enneagram can positively impact the relationships in your life. The first one is you can ask better questions. I am a very, very big fan of using the language of the Enneagram, using my understanding of the Enneagram to ask the people in my lives more informed, more supportive questions. So instead of saying, you're being such a four right now, can I ask, is there an area in which you feel misunderstood in this moment? Can you explain that to me? That's inviting connection versus limiting connection. I'm not saying, I already understand you. I don't have any more 
more to learn, I'm asking, is there more to learn here? Is there a way for me to support you better? And can you talk to me about that? So because I've studied their Enneagram type and I understand it, I'm much more inclined to know what questions they may need asked. So I know that there are going to be different things for each number that they may not express or know how to express. And I can invite a space of connection to them through understanding their type without having to acknowledge the fact that it's related to the Enneagram at all. The second way in which the Enneagram can truly support your relationships is understanding the why behind the actions that the people in your life take that may be different than the actions you would take. Ultimately, it's a amazing tool for compassion, right? It's an indicator as to what they think that they have to be in order to be okay, loved, accepted, worthy. Um, we've all developed this belief that we have to be something in order to earn those things. So when we see people in our lives to kind of like act out, or um, I call it when I do it, I call it sevening out, like I'm spinning out and, and making choices that don't serve me and others in the long term, because I'm kind of feeling out of control instead of thinking that's so irritating. I wish they would just fix this already. I wish they would just be better at this. Why are they like this? Instead, we can say, oh, something, you know, like think of them tenderly, hold it tenderly with them. Say, like, oh, this is something that's deep for you. This is touching on something really deep because I can see your type pattern activating. So I know that you are in a really hard spot. If you were, you know, as a seven, if I'm intensely pushing away any negative, any negativity, anything that could possibly send me down a negative slope, like clearly something's going on. So I am in need of support, not in need of judgment in that moment. And I hope that we're able to offer that to the people in our lives, instead of seeing it as like, you just need to work on this, you just need to fix this. Instead, can we say, whoa, what's coming up for you? What's been activated? There's something something here because this is all showing up and maybe this hasn't shown up in a while. And I know that this really contributes back to your childhood wound, your childhood mismessaging, things that you needed as a kid that you haven't received. So how can I love you now? The third way that the Enneagram can intensely impact the relationships in your life is that it helps you to do your work, right? It helps you to understand what you bring to the table that's positive, what you bring to the table that doesn't serve you or others, and how do we put those pieces together? And how can we own our stuff so that when, you know, when the situation arises, we know, oh, that's mine, I can deal with it, I'll fix it. Or we can say, actually, I know what my stuff is and... I can more confidently ask for what I need, set the boundaries that are necessary, understand when someone's speaking truth into my life and when someone's not speaking truth into my life, and you can more confidently hold your own. Now, I'm not saying that people in your life shouldn't do their part too, but I am saying that when we do our part, we can leave with a clean conscience and we know we've done what we can control in the situation. And we can also, through example, call other people into the work. When people in our lives start to see that we're taking ownership of our role in things, then it's an, it creates a more safe environment for everyone to do the same. So as a refresher, when we're talking about the Enneagram in terms of relationship, I want you not to do the following things. Don't focus on fixing over loving. Don't wait for others to get on board before you start your work. Don't Enneagram on behalf of the people in your life. Let their journey be their journey. And the things that can help and the things I hope you do do, do use the Enneagram to ask better questions. Do use it as a tool for compassion. And do use it to do your own relational work. 
And as I promised before, I compiled a list of questions that you can use to ask the people in your life questions related to the Enneagram without ever using the word Enneagram. So there are specific questions for people who you don't know their type and then some questions for people who maybe you have an indicator as to what type they may be, but you don't want to actually bring up Enneagram at all. So you can go to the link in my bio, download the PDF, and have some connection questions in your back pocket whenever you may want or need them. And for those of you who want to stay in the feed, comment below a question, your type, and a question that you wish the people in your life would ask you more often. I know as a type seven, I wish people would ask me, what's the thing bringing you the most joy today? Because so often as a seven, my joy can live in the future. It can be in the planning. And it's so helpful for me to focus on where's my joy coming from in this moment? What's right here, right now, that is bringing joy into my life? And I love connecting with people or in the conversation around our shared joys. So if someone can ask me and connect with me in that place, I know I feel deeply known and deeply loved. I know that most of us start this Enneagram journey hoping that the people in our lives are going to jump on board and do this work with us. And for some of us, that will happen. For others, it may take longer or it may not happen. But that doesn't mean that it's not good work for you to do and that you doing your journey will not positively impact the relationships in your life much longer term. Whether or not other people are able to buy into this or not, you can still positively impact your life and your relationships by going on your growth journey. We have one more video coming for you tomorrow where I'm going to go even deeper into the step-by-step -step of how I think you can implement this in your relationship, what areas need to be focused on, what you can do, and how to even integrate the Enneagram into this. So stay tuned and I will see you tomorrow. I've made it to day three of our Enneagram and Relationship series. Today I'm going to break down for you all of the things I think you should consider when you are doing relationship work in the Enneagram. The Enneagram is an amazing asset when you're doing relationship work because you get to a much, much deeper place in terms of understanding your fears, your motivators, your patterns of behavior, things that are going to continue to show up in all of your relationships, including the one to yourself much faster um, than you would otherwise. I use the Enneagram in every relationship in my life, and it's not just something that I use in my marriage, but I, I've even learned how to interact with my son in ways that support him better. As a type seven, it is my natural tendency to look for the bright side, to reframe things into a positive, to put myself in a situation where I'm always thinking positively, and I even reject my own negative emotions. And so when my kid is sad or upset, upset or having a hard time or wanting to express his darkness or his dark feelings, I used to do this thing where I would be like, it's okay, buddy. Like we can snap out of it, get better. We can, we can, uh, reframe this. Let's work on this. And instead, now that I know the Enneagram, I know that this is something that I'm rejecting in myself and not something that I want to reject in him. I can much more fully support him in his ability to fully express and experience his emotions. And so not only has it helped me to better support my son emotionally, it's helped me in my marriage, it's helped me in my friendships, and it helps me in my relationship to self.
using the Enneagram and relationships, it's kind of like this magic key that we've all been missing that gives us the information we need to know where we need to go in terms of our growth journey, our work, and what we bring to our relationships. But like we've talked about before, the Enneagram is an incredible map, but it's not the tools, right? We need to figure out what tools do we apply to this incredible map that we've been given. So we need to put some things in our tool belt, some practical things, some tangible action that we can apply alongside the information that we get from the Enneagram. So I know many of you are out there like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Where do we start? Let's talk about the major areas in which I think that you should be pulling the Enneagram in to do your relational work. The first area is in your relationship to self. I made that whole video on that one. It's video number one. If you haven't seen it, go back, check it out before you move on with this one. But start with that loving, kind, accepting relationship of yourself. That is like the baseline. That's where you need to begin. Because again, every relationship in your life is an overflow of the relationship you have to who you are. And then the second one is really acknowledging what your health journey looks like as your type. So every single Enneagram type has levels of health. What does it look like for you when you're not in a good place? What does it look like for you in a, when you're in just kind of a mode of operation, being things normal and standard. And then what does it look like for you when you're operating out of your best self? Get to know that, get to work in that and pick up the tools you need to pick up along the way to really live out of your healthiest space as much as you can. So once we have our relationship to ourselves down, we know how to accept ourselves and love ourselves. We know what health looks like for us. Then we need to get into how are you impacting your relationships, both positively and sometimes negatively? What are the things that you're bringing to the table that serve you in your relationships? And then what are the things that you consistently bring to the table that do not? Let's get that information and then start to find some tools to work in that area as well. Then when it comes to relationships, I want us to customize the love that we give and know how to ask for the customized love that we need. Everyone's going to receive and give love differently. And sometimes there are very distinct patterns by Enneagram type. So if you can get to know the people closest to you and their number and how they operate and what they need, you can not only give love, but give love that they're actually going to receive as well as know how to communicate the love that you crave and the love that you would like to receive in return. Once we have this healthy dynamic to ourselves, we know what our health growth it, our health growth journey is, we know how we want to give love and receive love, we know what we're bringing to the table already, we need to start talking about boundaries, right? When that little resentment monster pops up, we need to talk about how do we create healthy boundaries, what is a healthy boundary, how do we implement a healthy boundary, and then what's going to come up for you by Enneagram type based off of the boundaries that you may have. You may set really aggressive boundaries depending on your type, or you may have a very open lack of boundaries based off of your type. So we need to go into how are boundaries going to show up and then how can you implement boundaries in a healthier way and in a sustainable way. Okay, once we've done that, we want to talk about connection. So what are some questions that you can ask your partner to open connection, to deepen connection? What are the questions that specific questions that that Enneagram type hopes to be asked, hopes to be supported in? And how can you enhance your connection to the people in your life if you understand your type and their type as well? All right. Once we've done that, once we've established connection, we've done all the other things, 
Then I want you to work on your conflict. So how do you show up in conflict? Every Enneagram type engages with conflict a little bit differently. So I want you to think about how does my Enneagram type inform the way the sh- way I show up in conflict and what do I bring to the table that's amazing in conflict and then how can I better communicate, better resolve conflict in a healthier way? I don't want to be avoidant, but I don't want to always seek out conflict if it's not necessary. So how do we find this balance and what is your type specifically need to do in this process? I also think it's helpful to know what could come up in a type pairing. So while I don't think that there's any Enneagram type that is more compatible than the others, I do think that there are things that you can kind of predict might arise. Like when a two and a five are in a relationship, there are going to be things that are likely consistently going to show up. So start to understand how do these two things come together and how can we navigate this combination better and more informed. And then finally, we've done all of this research, we've learned all these things, we've implemented things along the way, but I want you to really make this lasting and sustainable. Implement this into habit and routine. Create a plan for how this is going to be your new normal. The major mistake that I see people do is they start to get all the information and then they don't actually build it into their life. And so it never gets to become a habit. So we need to create a system and a routine and a structure so that it becomes a part of your life. I can hear some of you now like, Sarah Jane, that is a lot of stuff. You've listed out a lot of work and this could take me years. And, and the truth is, yes, maybe, but also you have this amazing map called the Enneagram where it breaks it down for you. You get all of this information. Maybe you have to read a couple of books. Maybe you have to take a couple of workshops, but it's still so worth it. And at the end of the day, if these are relationships you intend to preserve long term, you have the time. Don't feel like you have to rush the process. You can start now and get a head start onto the work that you could be doing. If you wait another year, that's just another year that you're not working on the things that you could have been working on. And again, we've talked about this in a video before. I know there are some of you who are waiting for the people in your life to get on the Enneagram train before you do this work, but I highly, highly encourage you to start, do your part of the puzzle, invite them into the work through example. And if they are not ever going to buy into the Enneagram, that's okay. You can still do this work without ever saying the word Enneagram. You can actually implement all of this together without them even having to buy into the system because it is, it's about connection. It's about understanding. You can ask them the right questions to understand what it is that actually motivates them and drives them and even get a little bit closer to understanding what could be their type and support them anyway. So excited to tell you that I'm opening the doors to my most robust course of all time today. It's all about Enneagram and relationships. How do we create deep, intimate, lasting relationships that are full of self-advocacy and support with healthy boundaries and conflict management, all using this amazing map of the Enneagram. It's over 40 workshops with worksheets and challenges and things to implement. Every single workshop has something that you can do to take action on the things that you learn. There's discussion questions, and if you purchase the course, you get access 
for life. In the workshop, you're going to get an introduction to the Enneagram system, just in case you're taking this with someone who's less familiar or you're wanting to, to get your grounding and bearings in the system in the first place. You'll get my workshop on self-typing. So if you haven't typed or if you want to give this workshop to someone in your life whose type you're trying to figure out, you can have them take the workshop and understand their type better. There's an entire workshop on just how do you navigate understanding someone in the in the lens of the Enneagram and helping them to find their type if they're not 100% on board with the Enneagram. So how do we have this conversation with the people in our lives before they bought into the Enneagram system itself? Cover my philosophy, like the overarching, how do we set a healthy foundation for what our relationship needs from us? We cover that for all types, and then we get into type-specific workshops. What this means is I've created a series of workshops for every single Enneagram type. So the type ones get their own set, the type twos get their own set, and here is what's included. How to better love yourself, your journey to health as your type, understanding your work and relationships, how to better love and ask for love as this type. So people in your life can watch the workshop on your number. You can learn to ask for the things that you need if you understand your number. And you can watch the workshops for the numbers of people that you care about and understand what it is that they're creating in relationship as well. Boundary setting as we're Enneagram type, conflict resolution and management as your type, questions, connection questions for each Enneagram type. And then there's a workshop on type pairing specific information. So what does it look like as a type one to be in a relationship to a two, three, four, five, six, etc. And then finally, routines and structures for how do we build this into our life so that we can maintain this work long term. The doors are open for the beta launch of this program right now. I'll be delivering the first round of this work, this whole course live. What that means is I will deliver the information live to you. We'll have a place where we can discuss this. And the first round of people are my beta members because they're going to get to directly inform if there are workshops that are needed to be added, workshops that aren't quite working, and they get to help me form what the course will be long-term. Essentially, this is my experimental phase of creating this course. So if you jump in in the beta round the next two weeks, if you hop in, then you get to direct kind of the information that you're going to receive and you have lifetime access to this course. So while you may not be able to tackle it all right away, you can inform what you will have access to for life. As we're going to be collaborating so much on this, the people who join in at the beta rate are getting an insane discount. You're saving over $100 for joining early and helping me to give me feedback, help me to create something that's truly remarkable that you can carry with you for life. The course officially begins August 12th, but the doors are open to join only for the next two weeks. So from the day this video goes live, we have two weeks to join and get in on the ground floor of this course that is going to be the most in-depth course that I have ever, ever done. The link to join is in the bio. There's a sales page where you can like read all the information that you need to read, but don't hesitate to ask me questions. You can comment below with any questions that might come up. And if you have friends and family members who you think could benefit from this course, course, share the video with them, let them know what's going on so they don't miss out on this really, really awesome deal. And 
whether you decide to join me on this course or not, which I hope you do, but if you, if it's not the right time, it, that's okay. I still hope that you take in the information I shared with you today and you apply it. Um, you go out, you read the books, you take a workshop or two, or you read up what you can online. There's so many amazing podcasts and things out there that you can resource to do this work you're on your own. It might take a little bit longer than me just handing you all of my research and all of my skills right away, but that's okay. Still do the work. Please don't let this be a hindrance to you doing your work in relationship because I promise you it is so, so worth it. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end. As a reminder, this course is live for only one more week if you are listening to this in real time. You can access it through the link in the show notes, and I'd love to have you in the beta round to really help me materialize this into something that can serve everyone. So let me know if you join in. I can't wait to see you, share on social media, tag me so I can follow along and and make sure that I, I get to see that you're part of the program. So thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. And as always, I will see you next week.